I want to just say, uh, just kind of up front, a big thanks to, uh, to all the, the people that volunteered with Vacation Bible School, whether it was cutting stuff out or um, walking around with groups of kids or, you know, whatever, the, whatever the, the thing was, if you prayed, thank you so much for being a part of that. We had, a, we had an incredible week, and I'm sure there are some great stories that we can share with you. And kids, if you are here, uh, we're, it is Mission Sunday, and Amelia is back there. And if you want to, Amelia, what are the ages on that? Through fifth grade, if you are fifth grade and below, not if you think you're fifth grade, uh, just, then we might, sixth, yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah, all right, all right, so it looks like you got the kiddos there, awesome, awesome, have a good time, guys, have a good time. Can I come? All right, all right, we'll just be done here, I'll go down to kids. I'm just kidding, you have to listen to me speak for the next couple of minutes. Um, hey, uh, you know, I'm so glad that I'm so glad that we're here this morning and that we get to be together. And and uh, over the next couple of weeks, uh, as you notice, actually, this morning, if you if you've been here for uh, at least the last couple of weeks, if not a couple of months, um, Pastor Mark and Judy are not here uh, this morning. Uh, they are on vacation, and so you can pray for them that they have a great restful time together. And 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 I'm praying that that God really takes this time to restore them. Uh, this year is man, it's it's been a year, right? Like. It's almost been a year since uh, since they've been with us, and uh, and and I can say this from personal experience: transition takes a toll on a pastor. And so I'm really glad that he's a guy that that uh, that understands the necessity of not only himself taking a vacation, but his staff taking vacations as well. Uh, and so you can be you can be praying for him, uh, he and Judy this week as they uh, as they get some good rest this week that they would come back to us in September just rejuvenated and ready for a new season of what God is going to do here through the Eau Claire Wesleyan Church. So with them being gone, that means you get to buckle up with me for the next four weeks. And uh, we're going we're gonna to dive into uh, a four-part series that I'm calling The Good Life. And uh, we're going to be asking questions about what is the good life, how do I get it, and what do I do with it once I have it? And, and so each Sunday might look a little bit different. So I know that for those of you who know me, you know that I'm weird uh, and so I tend to do weird things when I talk, but I, I can, with a 70% assurance, promise you that I won't be preaching in my pajamas this time. 70, 70%. See, I'm not giving you the whole hundred because if something happens in the next couple of weeks and I'm like, oh, that would be perfect. I don't want to be held to that like 100% thing. I don't want to be the guy that breaks the promises, right? Like, I don't want to be... I don't want to break your heart, you know, I don't want to be like that. But uh, anyway, uh, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at this. And my prayer uh, during these times that we get together is that, that by the end of this all, that you may have a better understanding of what the good life truly looks like and that, uh, that you're a little bit more on course uh, to, uh, to living that kind of life. So as we start here, since I like to do things a little bit differently, a little bit weird, we're going to start off with a game here this morning. How many of you like games? All right, only about 30% of you like games. How many of you were like, I didn't know that we could play games in church. Like, is God okay with that? Like, oh yeah, yeah. Hey, let me tell you what, you know, God creates things that create things and, you know, he gives us creative imagination and it is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing that we can celebrate. But anyway, we're gonna, we're gonna play a little bit of a game and I promise with this game, I'm not trying to hoodwink you. I am not trying to hoodwink anybody or make you feel guilty about anything. This is just a like off the cuff, really, the rules of this game are really, really easy. 
I'm going to make a statement, and if you agree with this statement, I just want you to raise your hand. That's all. I'm not asking you to sign up for anything. Uh, you, this will not be held against you in the future. I, I promise with 100% certainty that I will not hold this against you, how you answer these questions. I can't say that I won't preach on it sometime. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, all right, all right. So uh, enough with, the, enough with the, the bad jokes here this morning. I'm not hoodwinking anybody, but let's say raise hand if, this, if, this agree, if you agree with this. All right, statement number one. It is always good to feel more loved. Okay, okay, yep, yep, pretty much all around. It's always good, it's always good to feel more loved. Okay, that's a, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good, like, baseline to start with, right? Like, we can all agree that, man, if I, if I felt valued more, if I felt loved more, like, that would be a really, really positive thing for me. Okay, question number two. We're going to get a little harder as we go on. Uh, question number two. A healthy bank statement makes for a good day. A healthy bank statement, okay, you, you know what I'm talking about. Like, you go to the bank, you make a deposit, and you get that little, like, piece of paper. It's little for me. Is it not for everyone else? Okay, okay. Um, but you get that little piece of paper, and you've got the readout of, like, what the, the balance is on your account, and it's like, oh, hey, this is, hey, that's not bad. You know, we don't have to eat PB&J all week this week. That's awesome. Good stuff. All right, so we can all agree, we can all agree that, you know, maybe a, a healthier bank statement, that's, that's a positive, we can look at that as a positive thing. Um, I like things that make me feel good. I like things that make me feel good. I like having a good time, it's, it's a pretty good thing, right? Okay, good stuff. All right, final question. Final question, then I promise I'm done at least asking the questions that I want you to respond directly to me this morning. Good? All right, last question. Things always go better when I'm in charge. <laughs> I, see the, I see that hand. Uh, <laughs> all of the wives in the room are like, amen, brother, amen. If we could have a sermon series on that, then we would have the good life. Then we would have the good life. No, it's funny, you know, I, I uh, you know, Bailey jokes around and says, you know, it'd be better if I'm in charge, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for the things that I entrust to her that, you know, she really makes me look good in a lot of ways. I'm very, very thankful uh, for that. But, but, you know, there's some of us that, that really would say that, like, hey, I have a, I know, I know that I'm a leader, and I know that I'm a strong leader, and, and, I, can, and I can lead in, in, in different capacities that might enhance the thing that's going on. Again, remember, I'm not trying to hoodwink anybody here, I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty uh, about your, your answers to this, but, um, but I think that, that there's, that each one of these things, we're, like, we're all kind of drawn, I think, a little bit more to, uh, to, to each of them individually, and we'll get, we'll get into that. Um, if we were to take each of those questions, though, and kind of boil them down to the elements of, of, of what each of these questions ask, I, I think that, that we would probably define, if, if we were to just kind of off the cuff without anything this morning ask the question, what is the good life? We would probably define the good life as a life where we experience belonging, where we experience security, where we experience uh, pleasure, and where we experience power. At the foundational levels, none of these things are, are, are a bad thing. But isn't it true that you and I, that we, we find ourselves being motivated by at least one of, of these things, if not a, a pairings uh, of some of these things as well? And these can be such a strong driving force 
in our lives. And, and part of the reason for that is because they're kind of, they're kind of part of the basic makeup of, of us as, as human beings. They're kind of basic needs. Uh, in 1954, uh, a psychologist by the name of, of Abraham Maslow outlined this nine-year study of, of behavioral patterns in exemplary people. So he observed people like Albert Einstein and Jane Addams and Eleanor Roosevelt and Frederick Douglass along with uh, a percentage of, of high-achieving uh, collegiates. And, uh, and, uh, and in those studies, uh, he, he found that, that the, his studies showed that people whose basic needs were met so these are our needs of, of being self-actualized or, or living, up to, living out their potential. They felt like they were living kind of up to uh, their standard, that uh, they had some esteem of, of self and, and, and from others. Um, they felt loved and belonged. There was, they, they experienced a feeling of safety. Um, and, and then they had their physiological needs of, of like clothing and shelter and food and such. Uh, they, they had those met. That, that those people generally experienced a higher outlook or higher quality of life. And in Maslow's original research, he would say that the people that were experiencing all of these things, that they were living the good life. But something happened throughout the course of Abraham Maslow's life that actually changed the, the entire trajectory of, of his study. And, and, and as he grew, he, he, uh, he began to criticize his work and take critiques, and, and he realized that, that, uh, that his early work was really incomplete, that it was, a, it was a closed system, like everything that he was studying, it was looking at like everything that was like inwardly focused, and that, that even with inwardly focused people who had all of the stuff and things, and they had, they had power, and they had authority, and they had recognition, and they had money, and they, they had everything that they could have wanted, when they were inwardly focused, there was still, there was still an unmet need within their lives. And so he would change then uh, in, in, his later, in his later writings, he would change the, the, the need of self-actualization or the need to feel like I am fulfilling my potential or I'm living up to my potential. He would change that to self-transcendency. In other words, that, that I realize that there is something that is outside of myself that I need in order to experience the good life. And it's something that can't be just within. So that really kind of debunks all those people that are just like, just follow your heart. Like, just, just do what feels good. Well, no, because like there's something that's actually outside of yourself too. And if that's true, that there's an element outside of ourselves that we need in order to begin defining the good life, then, then what does it even look like? You know, as I, as I started looking around, you know, with, these, with this criteria, I started looking at, at the world around us and going, man, we're, we're living in a culture where the good life is really hard to come by. We're living in a time right now where, where we need more and more good in, in this world. And, and we really need it right now. And, and maybe, maybe you've thought some of those things too. Maybe, maybe you've been in a, in a place where, where you observe the, the cultural climate that we're a part of right now, and you're like, man, we really need something different than what we've been doing. We really need something that's really outside uh, of ourselves in order for things to go, go better for us. 
And if that's you, you're, you're really in good company this morning because over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at a letter to a young pastor named Titus. And, uh, and, and in this letter, the, Titus was living in this climate that really wasn't much different than ours. There was bad news and there was worse news. There, there were senseless acts of violence and there was fear-mongering. The guy faced threats from outside and from within and all manner of conspiracy theories. Now, now I realize that with the advent of the internet, like we have all like manner of conspiracy theories from like vaccinations to, uh, to the, the moon landing was all faked to um, that there's a secret ruthless terrorist organization determined to rule the world. Uh, but that's a whole other story. Um, this morning... This morning, we're really going to be looking at bookends uh, of this letter. Like I said, I do things a little bit differently. So we're going to start at the end, and then we're going to go back to the beginning. So we're going to start in Titus chapter 3. And if you turn with me to, to, to there, we're going to read just for, verse 14 here this morning. But keep your thumb in there because we're going to scoot back to the beginning in a few minutes. So Titus chapter 3, verse 14 our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for, the urgent, for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Okay, so this one verse isn't really a lot to, to go on. So what does it matter? What does it tell us about the good life? Well, I want to propose actually a mathematical equation. Anybody, any math minds in the, in the room here this morning? Okay, I'm not one of those, so I'm, I probably got this written out wrong, but it kind of looks a little bit something like this. Oh, no, go back, go back. One more. Ah, there we go. Does that make sense? Okay, it's you, the good life is you plus faith times Jesus and grace. Say that with me. The good life is you plus faith times Jesus and grace. Very good. Gold star for y'all. All right, we're going to go ahead and put the, uh, the, 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 the whole line up here on the, on the screen here. So the, the good life is you plus faith times Jesus and grace. In this letter to Titus, Paul addresses a Christian audience. He, he's calling them our people to Titus. And since the Christian life is defined as a life that is transformed by Jesus through grace, by faith, the good life is you plus faith times Jesus and grace. The good life is a life where you add to yourself faith. Now, it doesn't matter like what spectrum, you, where you find yourself on the spectrum of like whether you believe in God or not or whether you believe in, in something. Like we all have faith in something. Like you, you got up this morning and you had faith that when you turned the faucet, the water would come out. That when you put your feet on the floor, that, um, that uh, the, the ground would actually hold you. Uh, you, had, you had faith that the air you breathed wouldn't kill you and that the car that you climbed into might possibly get you to where your destination is. But you, you get my point. Like, like we, all have, we all have faith in something. We all place our, our faith in something. 
But the good life has a specific allocation to that faith. It's not just that I, I believe intrinsically that there's something, you know, nebulous out there and, and, you know, whatever. It's that your faith has an object to it. And that object is Jesus. That person is Jesus. And when we place Jesus, when we place our faith in Jesus, he doesn't just add a layer onto it. Remember, it's, it's you plus faith. So you're adding faith to yourself. And then your faith and you are multiplied by Christ in you. That, that your faith actually takes you so much further because you realize that, hey, you know what? I'm not doing this on my own anymore. It's not just my own strength that I have to endure things. Like it, having Jesus as the object of your faith really changes the way that you look at things. It changes your perspective. Because if I know, if I know that there are things that Jesus endured and I, if I know that there are things that Jesus promised to me and he's not a liar and he's good to his character, then, then I know that there's hope. While I may not understand the circumstances that are going on around me, I have hope because the object of my faith is Jesus. It's in the one who's never failed and will never fail. It's the one who's the same yesterday as he is today. And guess what? He's going to be the same Tomorrow, he's unchanging. His character doesn't change. And in Jesus, we're able to love deeper. We're able to see our circumstances a little bit more clearly. And he allows us to be joyful in hope and patient in affliction as, as Roman 12, Romans 12 encourages us. And he helps us be better neighbors and friends and, and so on. I... I know I've shared this story with you guys before, but I still remember, I still remember the, the night that my, my dad came home and, and told us that, that he came into a relationship with Jesus. And I remember like just that it was like we would, we'd have no, no, no concept of what this even looks like. We had no concept of it. And, and I just remember him saying, guys, it's going to make me a better father and it's going to make me a better husband and a better man. And, and you know what? It did. It did. Because his faith... His faith now had an object. It had, a, it had a, a direction. Jesus was the source of his faith. And so it multiplied his character as a result of that. And to all of these things, to your faith, remember, to you plus faith times Jesus and, and grace. Okay, so, so, grace, so grace is a part of this too. And, and, uh, and grace and the impact of grace that God has for you, in turn, it, it impacts everything else as well. The, the way that we interact with people, how we live, how generous you are, and the list goes on. Grace, by definition, is unmerited favor. It's, it's, it's like I get compassion and I get generosity and I get faithfulness that like I didn't really do anything to deserve or didn't do anything to like, like I didn't like put enough like good deeds in like a good deed jar or I didn't like send up enough like alms or like do enough like charity work or anything like that, 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 God, that God showed me his his great love and his great grace when I was the most like reproachful and disgusting thing to him. Actually, Romans 5 says that while we were still sinners, that while we were, while we were in the enemy's camp, while we were in cahoots with the enemy, while we were sitting down chatting it up with the accuser of men, that Jesus died for you and me, that no greater love was shown than this, that he laid down his life for us. That, man, that's grace. That's grace. 
There's a, there's a pastor out in New York, his name is Tim Keller, and I like the way that he puts it. He says that God's grace does not come to people who morally outperform others, but to those who admit their failure to perform and who acknowledge their need for a savior. You know, grace, I don't deserve it, but I need it. I, I didn't earn it, but he gives it. I didn't love him first, he loved me first. And, and folks, when, when your life, when, you're, when your life is one that is, that experiences and understand and, and starts to understand what that grace is, man, it really, it again, it exponentially multiplies your faith and it multiplies and enhances the way that you live. Because I mean, how could you keep something like that to yourself? Remember, the good life is you plus faith times Jesus and grace. And it's a life to be pursued. Like, like how many of us think, you know, have, have gone through life thinking, you know, if I, could just, if I could just wake up one morning, like we think like the good life is one of those things where it's like, man, if I just woke up like on the beach in Maui and I had like a chilled beverage in my hand and somebody like waiting on me hand and foot, like that would be the good life. And like if I could just wake up one morning and that could happen, that would be awesome. Well, well, yeah, but it's, but it's fleeting. Like, we didn't know how we even got there. The good life is a life that keeps us from being, from being meaningless. Pursuing the good life keeps our life from being meaningless. I don't know, I don't know a single person who at the end of their life wishes that their epitaph would read, they lived an adequate life. They lived adequately. Well, let's get a little bit more savagely nihilistic here. That, that here, lies, here lies a man or a woman who had no impact on anything or anyone around them. None of us wants that, do we? We all, we all have this, this desire in us to make an impact, to leave some type of mark. And truth be told, if, if we're going to pursue the good life, it means that we have to understand why it matters and that it actually does make a difference. Because let's face it, we're living in a time in human history where we need to see more good and less evil. And the time is right now. I don't know how many of you were paying attention to the news yesterday. We had a, there was another shooting that went on. I, f I feel like we're getting numb to this as a culture. Um... But in North Carolina at the Crabtree Mall, there was, there was a shooting. My brother was actually in that mall. Um, praise God, like he and his girlfriend, they're all right. They, they weren't like impacted by it at all. But, but man, I, you know, when something like that hits close to home, it's like, man, we need more good. We need more good in this world. And I think if there's ever a time where our communities need to see more grace and compassion, the time is now. And if ever there's a moment where the earth itself groans for faith to be lived out, the time is right now. There is an urgency to the now. This is why Paul closes out his letter to Titus with a statement. Because if we don't begin pursuing right now, it'll never happen. 
How many of you seen, have seen the, like, the video that's like, been floating around YouTube the last year with Shia LaBeouf giving like, his motivational speech? Anybody seen that? Like, just do it! He's like standing in front of a green screen. He's like, just do it! You said yesterday that you would do it today. What are you waiting for? And he's like trying to like, motivate people. But like, the same thing is true. Like, just do it! What are you waiting for? Why wait till tomorrow to do good today? And see, Paul writes that we should pursue the good life so that our lives are not unproductive. You know, if we just sit around on our hands, if we're just like, this world stinks and I'm not gonna do anything about it, or I'm just gonna ostrich, like I'm just gonna stick my head in the sand, like nothing's gonna change, nothing's gonna happen. And this isn't simply about doing more, it's about choosing better. And the choice to choose better is actually a part of this good life. And we have to remember that the good life is not about, it's not about you anymore. I think it was Rick Warren at the beginning of his book, The Purpose Driven Life, and I know that some people are kind of conflicted over the book, but, but he begins the book by saying, it's not about you. Man, if there's ever a culture in which we need to hear that, it's ours. Like, it's not about you anymore. It really isn't. You see, when we're in a relationship with Jesus, it's, it stops being about you. You remember that list of basic needs that we talked about? Like, we all have a tendency to chase after one of the, or more of those things. We all have a tendency to run towards those things. And sometimes in doing those, we, we trample over others and we, and we step on other people and, and, and we, we, cut down, we cut down the competition because that's the thing that we're supposed to do, right? That's the thing that we're told to do. Like, like eliminate the competition. But those pursuits, man, have you ever been in a situation where you've like pursued something like hard and you've kind of sacrificed people on the altar of it, and like, it just never satisfies. Like, have you ever been in a place like that? Like, nothing satisfies. Like, the next big thing, like you thought that was gonna be the thing, like, man, if I just had that car, if I just had that, that vacation home, or, or that boat, or that, you know, if I could just go see that, that game, I just, my life would be complete. I'm not saying like any of those things like are intrinsically wrong, but like, when we, when we place those things as priorities over people, man, like, are you ever satisfied by that? No, there's always something more. There's always something bigger and better that takes its place. There's always something, there's like this hunger. There's this like growl in our belly that's like, I just want more. I just want to be entertained more. And I, I just want more power and I just want more money and I just want more recognition. And I just want, to, I just want others to think that I'm awesome. And we're just like, ah. And it never satisfies The good life is not about you anymore. And if this is our tendency, how do we counteract this? If this thing is so strong, if this grips us so strong, what do we do about it? Is there any hope? The answer is yes, there is hope. And it comes in the form of, of what uh, Paul encourages Titus to encourage the people around him with. Have you ever seen somebody that's like absolutely committed to something? Like they go out in public like wearing like the most ridiculous outfit. Like maybe they're doing it like for, for shock or show or like they're wearing one of those like big goofy like styrofoam. Like Pharrell Williams, like with his big like, you know, 
30 million gallon hats that he goes out in public with. Like, you ever see this? Like, that is a dude that is committed to his craft. I mean, like, there's a commitment. There's a level of dedication to that. If we're ever in a culture or in a, in a time where, like, we have examples of this, like, right in front of us, it's Olympic season. Like, how often, like, do the, the, the Olympians, like, you know, they, they train and train and train and they devote themselves. They've devoted themselves to, do it, to being the best or being better at, uh, at their craft or their sport or whatever. They often sacrifice the distraction for devotion. And to me, this passage is alive with that imagery. It's the same imagery. If you were here last week, Pastor Mark talked about it from, uh, from Hebrews 12, like running a race and, and throwing off everything that would slow us down and throwing off every sin that would entangle us and keep us from getting the prize that God has for us. And when we make strides towards the good life, we don't settle for what's good enough. We reach towards what is truly, truly good. And a lot of that has to do with, with reaching for the character of Christ to be alive in my life so that it can be alive in our communities today. Would, would we all agree that that's a really good thing, like that our communities really need to see like authentic Christianity lived out in our world? Like, like we need to send little Christs, little tiny Jesuses out into workplaces and into schools and into uh, neighborhood uh, committees and, and, and even Pokemon Go clubs. Like we need to send, like seriously, like we need Jesus out in all of the places. But I think that some of the problem, if, if you're a Christian here today, like I think sometimes we get like really, really numb to understanding like the grace that God has for us. And, and I say this from, from personal experience. Like, have you, ever, have you ever had that where you're like, yeah, I know that God has saved me, like, but not that guy. Like, that, that jerk over there, like, I don't, ooh. God's grace is good enough for me, but not him. Cool. Have you ever found yourself doing that? Like, like I purposefully want to avoid the situation because I don't like them. And if you're a Christian, like, and that's like, and that's like your standard of procedure, like, that's, that's your attitude on a day-to-day -day basis, like, man, I want to, I want to remind you here that, that as, as followers of Jesus, we are filled with his spirit, which means that we are filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control, all of which grace kind of encompasses a lot of those. And if we're not living lives of grace, then, then guys, I have to tell you, like, I don't know that the spirit of God is in you. If that's like, if that's the day-to-day, -day, like if you're, if you're running over people and you're treating people like garbage, like that's, mm, the spirit of God is not in you. And I say that, I say that because I know there have been times in my life where I've forgotten that. And it breaks my heart to have to admit that in front of you. And I've really had to pray that the prayer that, that God is, urges Israel uh, to pray through Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 36, verses 26 through 27, he says, I'll give you a new heart, put a new spirit in you. I'll remove the heart of stone from your body and replace it with a heart that's God's will, that's God-willed and not self-willed. I'll put my spirit in you and make it possible for you to do what I tell you and to live by my command. I need to remember that. You and I need to remember that it's not about you anymore. The good life it's not about you anymore. 
If you're not a Christian and you're in this room today and you've ever experienced that, I'm so sorry. Like, let me be like the first in line to apologize. Like, I'm so sorry. Like, that's, that's not the way that we're supposed to be. That, that's, not, that's not exemplifying the, the character of Christ. And I'm sorry, we, we forget about the grace that we've been given a lot. And we, we often forget that we need to give it away too. And, and I know that like I'm not the person that may have, have personally offended you, but I, but I pray that like it's the start of healing for you. Know that, that God's heart, even in our sometimes gracelessness, God's heart is, is one to restore us to a place where we, where we see people through his eyes, that we see people as he does. You see, the good life is you plus faith times Jesus and grace. The equation doesn't work if one part of it is minimized. It, it doesn't work if we say, okay, I'm just gonna have a little faith and I just want my little faith to impact me maybe on Sundays, maybe Monday afternoon if I'm feeling a little bit radical. Um, you, you, the good life is not one where you can say, okay, it's me and faith, but Jesus, eh, maybe just a little bit of Jesus. I like the blessed be, blessed are you when, but I don't really like the command to like not hate or lust or anything like that. Like you can't, you can't minimize the equation just like you can't say like, okay, it's, it's me and I've got this huge, faith and I understand who Jesus is and what he's done for me but you're like grace I'm not gonna have any of that we're not having that you can't do it the equation doesn't work when you minimize one of the elements of it and Titus was instructed that we ought to devote ourselves to do what is good to be ready to meet urgent needs around us our world desperately needs the goodness of Jesus now not two days from now not after an election not after the passing of a legislation not a year from today right now in this moment we need to bring Jesus into our world right now and to show that the good life is possible. And there's an urgency to now because the good life leads us to the one that we don't have yet. This is where we need to turn to the beginning of Titus, to, to Paul's greeting to Titus. He says, he says, Paul, he introduces himself, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ to further the faith of God's elect and, and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness and the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised from the very beginning of time in which now he is appointed at his appointed season, he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God, our God and Savior, to Titus, my true son, in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus. Remember, the good life is you plus faith times Jesus and grace. A life like that really is something that we define in the church as holy living or godliness. It's it's like having the likeness of God displayed in your life. And this type of love isn't just being good for goodness sake. It's a life that leads into more life. Tomorrow, I'll have the privilege to lead a memorial service for uh, Nancy Keitlinger. If you, if you didn't know Nancy, and uh, Nancy generally attended the first service, um, but man, she's such a sweetheart. She's a lady that, that I knew had her eyes fixed on Jesus because through all of her circumstances, I never once heard her complain. Like through every circumstance, I, I heard, you know, God is good and he's in control and, 
And man, what a, what a thing to be able to celebrate. But that doesn't just happen one day. It happens when you fix your life and your eyes on Jesus and that there's hope of a life to come. And that's the same hope that you and I have here today. That God's not a liar. And that, that, uh, that if he says that he's preparing a place for us and, and, and a place that will be united with himself where there's no sickness or sadness, where, where death can't reach and sin can't destroy, that gives me hope. No, no matter how disenchanted I get with things around me, no matter how bad my circumstances get, no matter how I'm treated or how the economy is or, or, or what's going on in a community, in a neighborhood, in a country, in our world, it doesn't matter because the good life leads us into a life, the life that we don't have yet. And I have hope that the good life leads to the good life. But there's an urgency right here and right now to live lives that are full of faith and the grace of Jesus Christ so that we can be ready to give it away to the world around us. The more and that more and more may discover the good life so that more and more of us can find ourselves at the end of our days living the good life with God himself together forever. I'm going to invite the worship team to, to come up here, and we're going to close in, uh, in a song. Uh, the song is called Sovereign Over Us, and actually for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be closing each of the services with this song. And, and I wanted to take a minute to explain why, why we're doing that. Um, because with a message series like this, there are three potential outcomes that, that could happen as, as a result of, of messages like this. Outcome number one is, is that you're encouraged, that, that this morning this is exactly what you needed to hear to keep pushing you towards the goal. You're like, man, I'm running the life of faith, or running the, the race of life and faith, and, 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 and this helps you push a little bit harder towards that goal and, and a little bit harder towards remembering the prize that's waiting for you. For you, my prayer is that this song would continue to push you forward as you're reminded of God's faithfulness forever and the perfection of his love. Outcome number two is just complete ambivalence. Like you don't care. Like I could be standing up here and I could have been talking about pink fluffy unicorns dancing on rainbows and like it wouldn't have made any difference to you. And if that's you in your ambivalence, know that, you're, that in your lack of caring, that there is a God who is still pursuing you for your sake. That he has not given up on you and will never give up on you until you take your last breath. And then, I mean, that the choice was yours throughout the entire time. He didn't give up. He's faithful. For you, you may forget him. But he is not and he will never forget about you. Outcome number three is, is discouragement. You hear a message like this and you think, well, that's great and that's flowery and that's nice, but I could never possibly live a, a life like that. Like, I'm too far gone. Like, I, I'm too jaded. I can't, I can't have faith and Jesus would never want me. And, and, and grace, like, man, I'm just an abrasive person. Like, I can't, I can't do that. And I want to tell you, if, if you've heard any of those voices throughout this, I want to tell you that that's a, that's a liar. There's a, there's, a, there's a liar that's in there and he can shut up because the truth is that God 
loves you and that there's no hopeless case. There is no place that you could go in which the cross of Jesus Christ cannot reach you. There is no place that you could hide that God cannot find you. There is nowhere that you could run. You could run to the furthest distance of the earth and he is there. He is pursuing you because he loves you. And he doesn't want you to miss out. Not here, not for eternity. And if you're here and you're discouraged and you're like, you know what, there's too much going on. Maybe someday when I get my life together, I'll get it all figured out. Remember, he is still God in the, through the fire and over the flood. He walked through fire. He walked on the flood. He will walk through whatever your circumstances are today. He's working in this time of waiting for you. You may not understand it, but there's no hopeless case in his eyes. And even in those valleys where you can't see him, he is faithful, faithful, faithful. Let's sing together.